0: This week on the Zone of Truth, Griffin and I review the Sonic Citrus Hard Seltzer Pack, explore the lore of Leshy's on Galarian, detail the history of Tarbfan, the Whispering Tyrant, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a Will Save. You're in the Zone of Truth. <music> And we're back back again back again just us just us the way it should be as i've always said here we are zone of truth uh 97
1: 97 that's a lot of zone of truth
0: Ooh, we were just talking about what we're gonna do for 100 before <laughs> this <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's probably just gonna be a regular episode <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were talking about it
0: no ideas no <laughs> no, no, no big idea the well was so dry the best idea was maybe a clip show clip show i suggested a listen-along episode as griff and i comment on episode one of zone of truth while we listen
1: back to it in real time we're gonna do a director's cut of the first episode Added commentary. Added commentary to an all-commentary medium. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, there's no moments of silence for us to interject
0: comments. No, we'll just we'll be talking over ourselves with our same voices, so it'll just be absolutely incomprehensible to listen to. It'll be like a drunken Discordly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that sounds about right. How you been, man? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What you been up to? Uh, you know. It's a busy week for me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. What's going on? Uh, what we do. So, we did Carrying Crown on Thursday, two mm-hmm. episodes of Malevolence Friday, two episodes of Bestow Curse Saturday, Drunk and Discorderly after that. Monday, I did several hours of STF and Friends where we're doing Redshift Rally. Tonight, we're recording <laughs> this. Yep. Tomorrow, I have to edit. Mm. Thursday, we have another episode of Carrying Crown, and then I'm done for the week. It takes a week to get done through a week. Yeah, yeah. It's been a week.
0: Well, what have been all the fun things you've been using to fill your spare time, Griffin?
1: <laughs> all that spare time you have. Uh, well, we've had some time between this and the last one since we did the charity stream. Haley and I watched Midnight Club on Netflix. It's like the new, there was like Haunting on Hill House and oh. you know, it's, it's all that October thing that always comes out. They do a different series. And this one is about a, um, it's kind of like a end of life care facility, uh, okay. but it's for kids. Ooh. So it's like all the kids have like terminal cancer or, um, nice light subject material. Well, this was in like the, I think it's set in the early nineties or the late eighties. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, one of the kids has AIDS, but it's back when, like, AIDS was just killing people, killing people, you know, before sure. it was able to be somewhat controlled by medication. So, like, one of the kids has AIDS. Some of the kids have different kinds of cancer, that kind of thing. And they're all terminal. And it centers around, there's, like, cult activity and and supernatural activity and all that kind of stuff wrapped up into what has been going on for years, which is called this midnight club at this facility. And so all the kids at this facility meet at midnight every night and tell ghost stories. Mm -hmm. And most of the ghost stories are, like, actually about them, but they call it, like, making ghosts. Okay. And the rule of the Midnight Club is that since they know they're all going to die, the first one of the club to die has to try their best to notify everyone else. Mm. Like, what happens after you die? Uh, So they have to, like, haunt them, essentially. Okay. I think they're gearing up for two seasons, because it ended on kind of, like, way more questions than it answered. But suffice to say, you know, the main character is, like, really trying to not die. And so she, she like, comes to this club because she had been doing research on, like, one of the... There was a girl, she had thyroid cancer. And so there was a girl with the same terminal thyroid cancer that went to this place And the story is she disappeared for a month, like while being at this place. And Mm -hmm. when she showed back up, she was cancer free. And so the whole plot is that there's something about this place that can cure these kids. Hmm. Uh, But they like haven't figured out what it is. And so it gets into like the place used to be owned by a cult. It then like got bought by this doctor. There's all kinds of like weird plot lines, but. (laughs) They're not really answered. so. Mm. So, like, one of the kids dies, but we don't get into, like, the supernatural activity quite yet. But, like, two of the kids are seeing ghosts of the people that, like, the original owners of this place. And there's, like, members still left of this cult. So, yeah. All
0: right, all right.
1: I hadn't checked any of those series out after
0: Hill House. I think Hill House was, in my opinion, the best one. Okay. So...
1: I know you and Haley weren't super hot on Midnight Mass. Some and... people really liked that one. I I don't yeah. know. It just, it really felt like this is 10 episodes of religious trauma.
0: Yeah. And then what was the other one? It was it Bly Manor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that like, I had a lot of frustrations with Hill House. And then when people watched Bly Manor, they started to tell me the things they liked about it. And I was like, oh, those are the things that I
1: wish they cut from Hill House. Yeah.
0: All right. Great. Yeah, blind manor was
1: a lot slower and a lot like yeah. there were. They brought kids into it, mm-hmm. and then it was you know. Yeah, but this one is all kids, and it's like 90s, and it. I don't know. I I enjoyed it, but I I really think they're like trying to set it up for a sequel, and I feel like they could have told the story in one season. Sure, there's just a lot that like
0: drags on a little bit. Well, that was my problem with Hill House. It was like people were. Like raving about how good the character development and all of this crap was and I was like nah it was just slow as fuck like it was just long this could have been three episodes of TV like come on but I digress
1: yeah the only other thing that we started watching was that I think I had mentioned it before the Dead End Park animated series with like the demons in this amusement park and the main characters are working at the amusement park has mm-hmm. a, a second season just came out in time for Halloween. Nice. So uh, we've watched like five episodes of that. Nice. Well, tis
0: the season, of course. So I've been consuming a lot of spooky material as well. I recently saw the new Hellraiser movie that dropped on uh, Hulu. It's a little bit of a return to form for Hellraiser. I'm going to go ahead and give it like a C plus B minus. Okay. Like it was worth your time if you like Hellraiser. It was pretty good. Nothing crazy to write home about. I think they did a good job in, I don't know, the the kills in the cenobites were really good. But they leaned a little bit into like the lore and the world building around the puzzle box and stuff, which is what I think you need to do with a Hellraiser movie. Like the original Hellraiser was phenomenal because you're just kind of learning this stuff. In some of the sequels, they get, like, super heady and are going to, like, different dimensions and shit. And it's just like, no, just stick to your roots, stick to what works. And this one did. It's not the best horror movie ever made, but it's good if you like Hellraiser, so check it out. But the thing that I really want to dedicate my piece of this to discussing is the return of a series that I've been waiting far too long for and how well it delivered. That, of course, is the series Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Have you watched season two yet, Griffin? I haven't. Oh my god. I need to watch it, yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar, we reference it all the time in these shows with like little quippy jokes and shit that probably go past 99% of the listeners. But essentially what it is, is a show that is like a little kid's education show. There's an episode where... uh, Well, let me back up. It's essentially like you're watching like a Sesame Street or a Barney and Friends or something and it focuses on these three characters that live together and they are like stop motion or whatever. I don't think they're actually animated or I don't know. Well, they're like puppets. Some are yeah. puppets, but, but there's like one guy's man yeah, red in a costume. costume. But they're supposed to be like kids on a kid's educational show. And as season one goes on, you realize that things are really, really wrong. And there's some seriously disturbing content and things take weird turns. They do incredible subversions of your expectations. They change the medium a lot. So like it'll like flip to digitally animated. It'll like pull back and it'll look like it's a... um, uh, shoot! Like, uh, what's that movie where the guy's in a TV show and he doesn't realize he's living in a Truman TV Show? Truman Show type of thing. They just do all sorts of really crazy shit, and it's really deep. And um, I've been waiting a long time for season two to drop, and it's six episodes. You can find them all on YouTube right now. Boy, they really lived up.
1: They really, really lived up. And I just finished six last night, and that was a trip. Well, they're longer now. They're like full-length TV shows now. They're like 25 minutes or whatever.
0: Exactly. So essentially, instead of the original run of six, that each of them were like three or four minutes a pop, which totaled out to like, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, you're not getting a season two. You're essentially getting like six new seasons, because each one is half an hour long and they each have three or four songs in them, and Mm. it's like a brand new season for each episode, and they're all thematically similar, and Similarly to season one, as season two develops, it gets more and more and more horrifying. There was a moment, this never happens to me, Griffin. It never happens to me. But there was a moment in, I think it was season three. I'm sorry, episode three. I'm getting all in my head now. That I like screamed in my apartment by myself watching this thing. (laughs) It was so fucking terrifying. Something happened that came out of left field that really, really got me good. So nice! I so highly recommend it to anybody that likes horror stuff. I recommend it constantly—the original season and season two. It's very, very good. I saw a
1: uh, a TikTok the other day. It was like TV characters that I'm attracted to, but they get progressively worse. Oh God! <laughs> and the last one was Red Guy from Don't Look oh Behind. God! <laughs> and
0: it killed me. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> you really shouldn't be attracted to Red Guy. No, no. If anything, you should be attracted to the duck. <laughs> That's That doesn't make sense to most people that listen to this show. Just watch Don't Hug Nice It's very good. Review some uh, seltzers. How about that? Okay. Uh, are you excited about this one? No. All right. Yeah, me neither. Sonic Citrus Hard Seltzer Pack. Your taste buds will thank you later. The citrus variety pack features cherry limeade, original limeade, Classic Lemonade, and Lemon Berry. The Citrus Variety Pack is available in 12-pack cans in a store near you. 5% ABV, 1 gram of sugar, 100 calories. We have tried other Sonic Hard Seltzers, and the way I describe them is the alcohol tastes
1: like bad wine. Yeah. Like, We've tried better-sounding flavors from Sonic that sucked. So I'm not really hyped for this. Dude,
0: original Limeade from Sonic... Is maybe the the one thing this entire week that I'm not looking forward to, at all. The top thing.
1: I mean, yeah, I have you, to got, go, you
0: like got, I go, I'm going I'm going. I'm going to work.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, I mean, you you got like your booster shot, and you're not sick yet. So, no. yeah, I got a flu got shot and my, my COVID to. booster. So uh,
0: today, so and they're not hitting me yet, but they will, and I'll have a nice sonic base nice, for
1: this. Yeah. Oh uh, so, boy. At the start of this, I think like if these are gonna have the same taste as every other sonic seltzer i've had which Mm -hmm. is yeah that distinctly like gutter wine yep the flavor is gonna have to like absolutely kick ass to overcome that yeah we're this is gonna be a real tough one so
0: i already ran through the flavors but how are we gonna rate these obviously by sonic characters so one out of five is a dr robotnik two is a knuckles three is a sonic 4 is Tails, and I'm led to believe that Shadow the Hedgehog is the most popular and well-received Sonic character, so he's a 5 out of 5. You're led to believe? Yeah. led you to believe that. Uh, Certain websites. Roll 34. Uh, Tails 2. Sonic's website (laughs) has a recommend... Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to read that yet. Okay, never mind. All right. Um, What do you want to start with, man? Do we start with the ones that sound sort of intriguing and then move into the garbage or go the other way? I don't know, man. We we haven't really come up with a system for how we do that. Oh, Christ. All right. Yeah, let's just do it in order. Cherry Limeade. The perfect way to kick off happy hour, Cherry Limeade sets the tone with its hint of cherry and lime flavor inspired by Sonic's iconic drink. So I think this is something that they're famous for. I've actually never eaten out of Sonic. I haven't either. Wow. Thought I was the anomaly there.
1: Hmm smells like bad wine it smells like bad wine interestingly enough <laughs> believe it or not oh yeah cool <laughs> yep Um.
0: iconic yeah that's that's bad wine with a hint of lime in there yeah I'm not even I mean the cherry's not even that strong in that that's really hard that's a tough one called Jim Carrey that's a Dr. Robotnik you think Uh, I mean, I could be kind of convinced because I don't know how low the floor is going to go on this one. I just don't know how
1: low my floor is anymore.
0: I guess. So I'm going to give it a knuckles. All right. I may retroactively give this a knuckles if one of these less promising sounding flavors doesn't deliver. How about you go ahead and crack into that Limeade? Actually, I'm sorry, Original Limeade. And uh, give me the flavor text on that. Yeah,
1: Original Limeade. Limes for all. Original Limeade provides a crisp lime taste that will have lovers of lime-flavored drinks wanting more. I've never had a good lime seltzer. <laughs> never had one that's made me want more. Yeah. This doesn't smell any different.
0: Oh, man, when you get like within eight inches of this can and you take a big, deep inhale. It's not great. Unpleasant. Real
1: sharp. Yeah. Real sharp lime. Yep. Hmm. It's like lime rind. Yeah. Where would you put that? I would give it a knuckles, too. It's not really that different. than.
0: Yeah, I, I could give this a knuckles. I mean, it's pretty bad, but lime can be a little worse than this. Yeah, like I've had worse lime. Yeah. It's certainly not good. Classic lemonade. When life gives you lemons, get the classic lemonade. All right. Classic lemonade was made for the lemon lovers that need an extra kick.
1: Yeah, kicking the balls. (laughs) Get the classic lemonade. The amount of times Fuck. you have all caps Sonic and Classic in these things. <laughs> yeah. Sonic's iconic comes up too many times. The copy on this is just so
0: flaccid. The Limeade one just starts with limes for all, followed with a period.
1: Yeah, no exclamation point on that. I, I, actually, I really did spice that one up.
0: Yeah. And everything is classic or original or iconic. Just sucks. What I'll say about Sesh... Is I remember their copy being pretty douchey, but at least it was like fun. This is just yeah, it was like
1: nothing. Uh, uh. <laughs> that tastes like feet dipped in lemon juice. Uh, that's a that's a uh, Doctor Robotnik to me. Yeah, it's it's really hard for me not to give that
0: a Doctor Robotnik. That's real rough. That's worse than the other two for sure. Yeah. Oh. Whew. I'm curious where they get the lemonade aspect of that. I don't That's know, just it like, tasted
1: mostly like a lemon flavored turd. Yeah, that sucked. Oh, Christ. Let's, uh, let's get some lemon berry in this. Uh, inspired by Sonic's iconic drink, lemon berry brings out a refreshing fusion of lemon and berry to make this seltzer an enjoyable afternoon beverage. Great. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm telling you, it's flaccid. <laughs>
0: I smell the berry more in this one, though. They That's should. really good, because I don't want another lemonade.
1: Well. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it's, the lemon portion of it
0: still tastes <laughs> it's like feet. So lemony in a bad way. But like, um, the berry is just barely there. <laughs> yeah, the the berry is really trying to pull some weight and just failing. Christ, just for the fact that it's not lemonade, I have to rate it a little higher. I'm going to give this a Knuckles, but you're right. It's the same flavor with a little berry, and it's
1: really unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd go Knuckles, too. Although, I'm shocked that like the lime flavors are the better flavors in this pack, but what do you know? <sighs> I mean, a lemon or a lime by itself in a seltzer just always gets my hopes down in the gutter. It's future. always dog shit, so why not make a whole pack of them? Yes. This is like the people that buy the
0: entire pack of white claw lime. I don't want to speak out of turn or say something too crazy, but those people should be shot. That's crazy. I can't <laughs> I don't want to say something wild, but <laughs> I can't imagine just going out and mainlining 12
1: lime white claws. Who does that? It's like the more extreme version of like the black cherry people. Oh, I don't like them either. The only reason I I see to do that was when there were two options. It was mm-hmm. either you could get a twelve pack of Tall Boy mangoes or a twelve pack of Tall Boy black cherry. And so if there were no, because mangoes yep. obviously the better flavor. Yeah, so you're getting mango. But like you get you get a twelve pack of Tall Boys for pretty cheap. So mm,
0: yeah. I can see biting the
1: bullet and. You know, at
0: least if you if you had both, you get a variety a little bit. Yeah, sure. Drink the mango one first, get a little bit of a buzz on, then take the black cherry down. I kind of get that. So overall, this pack was predictably awful. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, I think we come out to like an average one and a half. So some unholy creation between Doctor Robotnik and Knuckles. I'm probably gonna cut that out. But uh, I had a tickle in my throat that's making me cough a lot, and I have to wash it down with these Sonics. It was really horrible, but. Alright, so... Okay, uh, I think no matter what gimmicky-ass question that I would ask at the end of this, neither of us would go back for this pack. So, in lieu of that, I was doing some poking around on the Sonic website and found that they have recommended cocktails for their eight seltzer flavors, which is interesting because they provide ten recipes, but five of them are based on Cherry Limeade. (laughs) Cherry Limeade gets half of them, And then there are some flavors that just don't get a cocktail recipe. That's clearly their golden boy. Yeah, and it was so good. Um, (laughs) Two out of five, it's our golden child. (laughs) Hey, it was in the top 50% of the pack. So I did want to review an example because I think this is really worth doing here.
1: This is the stupidest fucking recipe I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, this one's wild. Posted November 30th, 2021. Cherry Limeade Cold Brew Cocktail The copy on this is, and that's why I called out November 30th, slightly after Thanksgiving Need a post-turkey trot pick-me-up Try out our Cherry Limeade Cold Brew Cocktail and get Thanksgiving started right No running necessary So, get Thanksgiving started after Thanksgiving happened mm-hmm. No running, where's the running coming from? Oh Like a turkey trot is like a Thanksgiving Day race
1: right okay okay I think Um, I don't know but like it's already talking about post turkey and then it's get Thanksgiving started right it's very confusing assuming that you had turkey before Thanksgiving
0: yes so if you did uh, you can mix up this recipe of three ounces of tonic an ounce of Amaro an eighth of an ounce of cherry syrup two ounces of cold brew topped with Sonic's own iconic cherry limeade that's fucking bananas.
1: With cold brew? That was their pick? I have
0: never thought to mix cold brew and tonic. Cold brew and seltzer? Cold, anything. That's messed up, man. This is a disaster.
1: I can't believe this is on the I mean, I can, because this stuff sucks, but like, wow. This is like the equivalent of the White Castle recipes where it was like, make all the components of apple pie Chop up ten sliders, put them in the apple pie.
0: (laughs) Hey, guess what, guys? Chris basically not telling a joke. That's out there on their website. (laughs) Fucking nuts! (laughs) Absolutely crazy. We got to divide these things up. Uh, Oof. um, I think each of us getting a lime and a lemon. (laughs) Oh, you don't want to double down? (laughs) No. All right, man.
1: I don't. I Christ. Um, what do you want? I mean, I don't. (laughs) That's the thing. What do you want is a a leading question. I'd prefer not to have any, but I suppose suppose I'll take Cherry Limeade and Lemonade. Ah, yes. The iconic Sonic drink, Cherry Limeade. I'll take the best and the worst, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. Really tough to differentiate, though. All right. So that's that. That was depressing.
0: Yeah, we have some rough ones on deck too. I picked up a couple more packs. Apparently, Hard Rock, as in like Hard Rock Casino and Hard Rock Cafe, made seltzers. So I got a pack of them. I'm
1: sure those won't taste like rock gut wine.
0: Yeah. And then like the 99... Brand of hard liquor, like 99 bananas, 99 cherries, all that stuff. They made seltzers too. So I got a pack of that. So, like D tier liquor right. is making seltzers. Yeah, like a D tier themed restaurant and a D tier <laughs> liquor uh, is making seltzers now. So, I mean, buckle up. Next couple ones of this is, are going to be pretty bad, man.
1: So that covers 98
0: and 99. Well, I've been kicking around this idea for 100 that we have to do the 100 seltzer challenge, but I don't know what that means yet. The
1: 100 Seltzer Challenge.
0: I mean, I I only have the name. I don't know what it means. It
1: means certain death. (laughs) (laughs) Now, 100 Seltzer's lined up for episode 100. It's a pretty good name. In what world? In what world
0: is the 100 Seltzer Challenge? I think it's a good name, I don't know what the, if the premises is sound, we yeah, have to workshop the premise. We had a Christmas one, didn't we? The 12... Oh, the 12 Packs of Christmas? Yeah. I think this is, that's how this whole thing started. We were
1: trying Christmas seltzers. No, 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 but then uh, we called it the 12 Packs... We oh, said we were going to yeah. do the 12 Packs of Christmas this year. Oh, we gotta figure that out, too, then. Maybe that's part of the 100 Seltzer Challenge, I'll, I'll run the math on that. <laughs> I mean, technically, 12 Packs would be not even half of that, that'd be 48. Because each 12-pack, or each pack has six. four flavors. Oh, crap. So four times 12 is 48. Okay,
0: yeah. We'll have to go back to the drawing board on this one. Um, Alright, we'll figure this out off mm-hmm. air. Sure. It's going to be good. 100 Celsius Challenge coming to you in six weeks. Whatever that means. Alright. As promised, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Leshies today, and then we're going to be talking about the rise of Tarbifon. So, why are we talking about Lashies? Well, we had our big announcement on Last Zone of Truth that we're doing a new show. It's going to be called Speak with Plants, and a lot of us are playing Leshy characters. In fact, all the PCs are playing Leshy characters. So thought it'd be a fun time to dive into the lore and abilities of Lashies because they're interesting and varied and awesome. I feel like Maybe in second edition, you could pretty much grab most of the core ancestries and do like a unique party with like all dwarves or all elves or whatever. But nowhere else are you going to get like a real cool variety like you will with lashies, yeah. I think. So, lashies were originally grown as servants for more powerful fae and intelligent plant life, such as elder treants. Leshies are sentient plants who look after their unintelligent brethren and serve as nature's verdant watchers. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the history of Leshies and the setting of Galarian, and then Chris gonna dive into what they get in Pathfinder and what makes them special. So the first beings to create Leshies are these creatures called the Green Men. They're also called Leshy Kings. I don't know terribly much about them, but they're apparently these guardians that are like basically demigods or gods in their own right of these spirits of nature that merge and then rise to divinity, which is really awesome. Many green men discovered how to draw upon the connection that they held with other spirits of nature, coaxing them to physical forms. That is basically what an early Leshy was. They're like spirits that were raised up by the green men to defend forests and where they're from and all of that fun stuff. Modern leshies in the setting have far more varied motivations than just serving the green men masters, but many still respect and revere those godlike creatures that gave them their mortal life in the first place. So it's long thought that green men were responsible for communing their powers and rituals to grow and create leshies upon druids of like the times of Galarian in the setting that we're in. But let's talk a little bit about what the Leshy life cycle looks like. So Leshy's begin their existence as sentient though bodiless spirits of nature of the sort contacted by spells such as commune with nature. These spirits normally have no way to directly manipulate the physical world, but a skilled spellcaster, typically a druid, can grow a special plant body for one of these spirits, giving that spirit a home to animate. Once accepted into a body... A Leshy's spirit remains within unless the body is destroyed. Leshy's do not fear death, as many other creatures do, knowing that they will fall. Their spirits merely return to the natural world and can be called to inhabit a new Leshy body at some point in the future. So they're not typically naturally born into existence. They're raised up by somebody who has a clear purpose in mind for them. And when they die, they don't Really die or go to the bone yard, they just get reacclimated back to nature. Oftentimes, when they do die, their body bursts and in this like explosion of life energy that infuses the surroundings around it. And any plants that are in the area suddenly get this like boost of life energy and start growing like crazy. Oftentimes, there are stories of leshis who will voluntarily do this very thing, they try to save the lives of the ailing plants around them because they know that their like verdant burst explosion will, will save their lives. Regardless of how a leshy dies though, leaving the body does traumatize the spirit. So the spirit doesn't retain a lot of the knowledge or memories that it does from the life that it lived on like our mortal realm. These leshies that are reborn multiple times, they incorporate changes. Maybe that's mood or spirit or what have you as they've lived their many different lives and their many different bodies, but it's not really the same creature. Their experiences change them, and then the trauma of death kind of changes them again. So even if a leshy has inhabited multiple bodies, it's almost like a new person each time in a way. It's like androids. Yeah, pretty much actually. It's very similar to androids, kind of like the nature equivalent of them. Mm-hmm. If a spirit is not strong enough to be like a big, powerful, sentient leshy, the spirit can still be drawn and bound to this world into like a living plant organism those just turn out to be like leshy familiars so that's how piso explains how you can have a leshy familiar yet leshy is also a playable race <laughs> And uh, that's pretty much all of the notes that I have on them. They're kind of cool. They're like constructs, but they're not. They're like androids, but they're not. They're a really interesting race. And how about you tell us a little bit about what they do and what you get when you want to play a Leshy and how
1: you can do it. Sure. So Leshys are, geez, I would almost call them the goblin of second edition, right? They're kind of like the iconic art in 2nd edition, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go over them in 2E, them as an Ancestry. Uh, they, I think they were added as a playable option, at least the vine Leshy in 1st edition at some point, but uh, it was like pretty late in the edition. And I wasn't think so, really yeah. Used. So as a Leshy, you might act as a traveling agent for natural guardians who are unable to leave their territories. You might encourage civilizations you encounter to cooperate with nature and build their cities in ecologically friendly ways. Or you could become attached to new friends that you make on your journeys. I think what makes leshies fun in second edition and probably the best ancestry in my opinion to do a whole party of is that leshies are kind of in appearance as varied as what plant is used to create them. And if you think about the amount of plants are out there, there is tremendous diversity in how leshies look, you know, they can be plants or fungi, they are usually vaguely humanoid, but they have numerous characteristics of the plants from which they were made. They're a small ancestry, so they're typically about three feet tall. And due to the nature of the ritual used to create a leshy, they always begin their lives as adults. And as spirits, they don't age. They could potentially remain in the vessel that they're in forever. Though um, most leshies wouldn't like that. Mm-hmm. So leshies get eight hit points, They're small, as I said. They have a 25-foot movement speed. Their ability boosts are to constitution wisdom, and they get a free one. And then their ability flaws to intelligence. They start out with common and sylvan as languages. They have low-light vision, and they have a trait known as plant nourishment. You gain nourishment in the same way that plants or fungi that match your body type normally do. So through some combination of photosynthesis, absorbing minerals with your roots, or scavenging decaying matter you typically do not need to pay for food. If you normally rely on photosynthesis and go without sun for one week, you begin to starve. You can derive nourishment from specifically formulated bottles of sunlight instead of natural sunlight, but they cost 10 times as much as a standard ration. So the heritages that come kind of baked in are, as I said before, kind of based off of the different plants that you can make a leshy from. Mm -hmm. I'd be remiss here. uh, You know, I'm talking about the first-party stuff, but there's a really cool resource out there called the Botanical Bestiary that has not only a ton of leshy enemies, but also I think like 10 or 12 new leshy heritages as well. A ton of them, yeah. There are plants that Paizo hasn't released. (laughs) They've released a ton of plants too. And you can kind of make some of these your own. So... There's a Cactus Leshy that gets unarmed attacks with their uh, needles. There's a Fruit Leshy that can feed people their fruit, kind of like a good berry heals hit points. There's a Fungus Leshy that gets uh, dark vision, and they actually lose the plant trait and gain the fungus trait. There's Gourd leshies, They have a gourd for a skull, and they can store items in their head. There's a Leaf Leshy that is mostly made of leaves and they fall easily. They don't take damage from falling regardless of the distance they fall. There's a lotus leshy that gets some swim speed and they float on the water. Uh, Pine leshies have a you know a thick, sticky sap and they get a combat climber as a bonus feat and get mm-hmm. a bonus to their reflex save against attempts to disarm them. There's root leshies that are like kind of like a potato or a root vegetable, and they get extra hit points, 10 instead of eight and they can go without sunlight for extra time, uh, two weeks. They also gain a bonus to their fortitude or reflex save against attempts to shove or trip them. There's seaweed leshies that get swim speed and can always breathe underwater. However, they get reduced land speed. And then there's vine leshies that don't need to have any free hands to climb. And if they roll a success on athletics checks to climb, they always get a critical success. So those are the ones that are in first-party second edition, but there's a ton of other ones. There's stuff like Coffee Leshy and Chili Pepper Leshy and Onion Leshy. There are Tumbleweed Leshy. There's all kinds of cool stuff in the uh, Botanical Bestiary that all have kind of a different little flavor thing that makes them unique.
0: Yeah, I... I really liked doing my homework for this. I think I would mentioned before, I was one of the first people that locked in, like I want to do this specific type of lashy. But just when I started doing my homework and reading about all the different types, there's some really fun stuff. Like the pine tree one that I picked, because pine trees, if you burn them, they come back stronger. So it has like some sort of, if you take fire damage, you at the end of the round will like regenerate hit points. Oh, yeah, bit, you regenerate yeah. like up to half of the fire damage yeah, or something. Yeah, it, it's you like know. virtually nothing, but it's like cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool um, to have. Yeah, there's, so there's stuff like that that I that they just put a lot of good
1: Yeah, like there. the Gourd has very interesting interactions with stowed items because mm-hmm. it doesn't take you an action to remove the item from your Gourd if you have one item in there. So you can pull it out and use it mm-hmm. for one action, which has a lot of interesting interactions just for the action economy in general. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, part of the reason I picked mine, but, you know, you guys will see later why I picked a Mm -hmm. jack-o'-lantern. I think with all of those heritages in mind and the fact that a leshy is eligible for virtually all of the versatile heritages besides, I think, Beastkin. Yeah, that made me very sad. (laughs) You can have a tremendously versatile leshy party.
0: Yeah, I don't think I was ready to announce this on the stream because I hadn't quite figured it out yet, but I have figured out my versatile heritage. Been talking to Haley a little bit about it. I'm going to be a pine tree leshy with Oriod, nice. Yeah, real excited. Nice, That'd be that. very cool. Taking that mountain stance, monk.
1: Yeah, I think what Haley's doing in our playthrough is actually a tip I would give most two EGMs if their party's interested in doing an all one ancestry party is like allow everybody to take a heritage and a versatile heritage mm-hmm. because that's gonna make the party way more diverse and it's I I don't think it's overly powerful like. I literally get the. I can put stuff in my head, and I also get to be an Ifrit. That's yeah. like the only change, right? Rather than just I'm an Ifrit, mm-hmm. so I would recommend that just for versatility of the party. It just gives everybody like a difference in their ancestry, like where I'm from or what, mm-hmm. what I'm about, but also a another set of feats to choose from. Yeah, it's all very exciting stuff. I'm
0: loving it. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk to about Leshis before we start talking about this bad dude, the Whispering Tyrant? No, I don't think so. All right. So we are at a very special point in Carrion Crown where we're transitioning into book six and a lot of the looming Whispering Tyrant stuff that's been going on in the background is starting to come to a head here. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about the timeline history of Tarbafon slash the Whispering Tyrant, but I do want to be very clear that this is spoiler-free stuff. We're only talking pre-Carrion Crown And we're trying to not say anything that would spoil this campaign or other campaigns or or what have you. Because the fact of the matter is, he was a bad, bad dude for a long, long, long time on Galarian. There are just going to be facts about this guy and his history that everybody should know, right? Like, you know most of the bad dudes in history in our world. At least you know a couple things about them. So you would think that somebody... In a setting that has an almost all-powerful wizard that tried to fight the gods and like took over half of the northern part of the inner
1: sea world region, like people would be talking about him for a while. Right. I mean, this is this is the equivalent of in our time, like not necessarily a bad dude, but just like knowing about Alexander the Great. Like, sure. Right. Yeah. It's a prolific historic figure taught in like every school at mm-hmm. some point, you know, you know, the basics of him. Yeah. This isn't like
0: some obscure, a goal deity. Like this is something that happened that impacted most of the people's lives in some way, shape or form that we interact with in the campaign. Yeah. So with that in mind, we want to talk a little bit about the history about this guy so that when you're listening to some of these upcoming Book six episodes, you have that little bit of historical context. So, this stuff, maybe if you don't know it, or maybe if you do, and this is a good reminder, might just feel a little bit more in place for you. So, we're just going to go through the timeline. I'm going to kick this off. I'm going to start talking, and I'll read through the first couple of these, talk about the first couple, then I'll kick it over to you, Griff. How does that sound? Sounds good. Go back and forth here. So, the Whispering Tyrant was born in. 837 AR. For reference, Carrion Crown takes place in 4711, so roughly about 3,500 years ago. And from his birth to his first rise in power, very little is known. So in 861 AR, he leads this army and conquers the city of Kestrelon, which is on the Interper Isle for the wealth that was gathered there. The city of Kestrelon was founded by this fringe group of the prophets of Calistrade, which I don't know terribly much about, but I know they're like, I don't know, trademongers or something. Yeah. They're, they're, all, they're all very rich at the center of Lake and Carthin, And then he renames this to the Isle of Terror, which is the name that it's known for today around the world. And pretty edgy for a 24-year-old. Yeah, I mean, not bad. In 888-R, he sought the Cenotap, which is the resting place of Rune Lord Zutha, which was the fifth ruler of gluttony slash necromancy in the Rune Lord's pantheon, and unlocked the necromantic power of the sleeping Rune Lord. Now... Most of you know Rise of the Rune Lords, Shattered Star, Return of the Rune Lords. Most of these Rune Lords went into hibernating, and he was trying to siphon off a little bit of Zutha's power, who uh, was the necromancy dude, which Tarbfon, being a prolific necromancer, was very, very interested in. He finishes conquering the Isle of Terror in 881 AR and establishes a portal to the plane of negative energy on there by digging what's called the Wizard King's Pit. And what was he trying to do with that pit? Well, he had a bone to pick for some reason with a little
1: god called Eredin and he wanted to trap and kill him in that pit. I'm gonna kick it over to you, Griff. So then in 896 AR, now that he's bent on world conquest, he recruited orcs and undead to invade all of Avistan. This eventually attracted the attention of Eredin himself. Tarbafon sought immortality and possibly looked down upon the last Eslante for not having ascended to godhood on his own but for having relied on the power of the Starstone, while Aroden had seen firsthand the brutal reign of the Rune Lords and refused to see the world under another such tyrant. Tarbafon attempted to lure Aroden into a trap called the Well of Sorrows, but failed, and their conflict ended when Aroden killed the Wizard King on the Isle of Terror in a mighty battle. Aroden buried Tarbafon's corpse in the Isle of Terror, believing him dead, but this was Tarbafon's plan all along, to die at the hands of a god so he'd become an incomparable lich. His corpse was retrieved by his followers and reburied in his birthplace of Ustalov. You wanna take the next one? Sure. I feel like mine was as <laughs> yeah, long as it's It's
0: a chunky one. Lots of important stuff happens there. So in 3203 AR, Tarbifon uses the power of his cult The Whispering Way to return to undead life as a lich. He challenges Eridin. For having killed him before, yet sort of falling into his trap, but also circumventing the trap of getting killed by him. It was like a a win, yet also definitely a loss. It was plan B. Yes, but for absolutely unknown reasons, Airden refuses the rematch. Keep in mind, this is over 2,000 years after his initial defeat. And this was at the period in Aroden's life where he starts to become disconnected from the world. He's no longer really the god of man. He's just kind of a god who's doing crazy things and and, and is very aloof. So he doesn't really have a good reason or an explained reason for not coming to the challenge. But regardless, he does not try to finish what he started.
1: I think Aroden was in a slut era. Could be. It's like i only got 1500 years left i'm gonna get weird with it
0: that's right he's got to answer those dms he's and he's he's leaving Tarbafan on red <laughs> so Tarbafan unites the orc tribes of Belkson. he conquers ustalav and then for about the next 500 years he rules as a lich in 3754 ar tail the knights of ozim and the dwarves of cragadan unite and begin what's called the shining Crusade to dive into the heart of Ustalav and his captured territory and defeat the Whispering Tyrant in 3818 the Knights of Ozen tried summoning Arazni, the Herald of Eridan. they did so and she aided them in the war against the Whispering Tyrant despite the fact of Airden not coming down himself however Tarbifan kills her in 3823 AR and it's not looking
1: good Griff bring us home in 3827 AR, the Crusaders at last reached Gallospire. The Talden general Arnesent fought the tyrant and using the artifact known as the Shield of Aredin was able to withstand the Lich's magic. When the shield eventually shattered, it burned the Lich with holy fire, weakened the tyrant, and forced him to flee to Gallowspire. The Crusaders, unable to find Tarbophon's phylactery, which was allegedly hidden by Ergothoa, so no one, not even the gods, could locate or find a way to destroy it or to spare more resources to invade Galluspire, imprisoned him using a powerful magic ward known as the Great Seal. Each branch of the alliance responsible for defeating him was tasked with guarding one of the three lesser seals across Galarian that would keep the Great Seal intact. The province of Lastwall, now an independent country of the same name, was then established forever to watch over the tyrant's prison. And that's that. That
0: is kind of the last you hear about the whispering Tyrant until Carrion Crown comes around.
1: Yeah, and his corruption of Ustalav, his rulership of Ustalav, kind of spreads back. Mm -hmm. So as the Shining Crusade pushed him back towards Gallospire, that kind of concentrated that necromantic energy there and is what you guys are experiencing in the campaign now, Virlik, This once three-county area that is now just like this blasted, undead, just awful place that is still impacted just by the presence of the whispering tyrant and gallowspire
0: yeah it's interesting that you just watch history repeat itself over and over with this guy like people just don't finish the job yeah eridan kills him doesn't finish him off once he comes back the knights of ozum and cragadan and taldor push him back into gallowspire and say ah he's trapped that's good enough and the whispering tyrant continues to be a figure in history So I think we're going to redo
1: that again. Well, it's kind of interesting that he takes over 2,000 years to come back the first time. Sure. They're getting better at it. Yep. Carrying crowns, any indication, it's less time. I guess that's right. That's like what? uh, 1,500. Yeah, not too bad. Shorten that time by about 700 years. Wow. Yeah. The uh, the Whispering Way is getting pretty good at what they do. <laughs> Whispering Way is figuring it out. <laughs> yep. But yeah, slang slaying Erasmi ends up the impetus for her getting reanimated by Geb mm-hmm. and like forced to be Geb's wife for however long as as like the Banshee Queen. Yeah. Um, and now I think by second edition, she's completely corrupted by that experience, but is a deity, mm-hmm. and that's why you get the weird ties between like her. And the Shining Crusade, like Knights of Ozum often still worship her, even though she's like neutral evil. Mm-hmm. It was really fun
0: to go back and read about this dude and go through his history because a lot of the stuff that we talked about is so fundamental to the region. Similarly, in the ways that, like, when we were playing through Rune Lords, we were like, Getting a lot of exposition on how they did their things and how they morphed the land and the peoples that sprouted up after them. This was just cool because, you know, we
1: play in these worlds in these different countries and trying to see where all this stuff came from. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's it's really interesting. Like I, I love the vampires being in book five because you can see like you actually have a direct link to like people that served under him. Sure. You know, and you're going to have a direct link to like the two opposing sides of that argument. Because what isn't Luvrik super old or something? Luvrik was like one of his generals. Yeah, yeah. Luvrik is yeah, like four thousand years old. That's wild. Yeah. So like, again, to have like combatants in that war still around Mm -hmm. in the form of vampires is pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, that's. I might not be exactly getting my timelines right. In fact, I'm sure I'm not. But that would be if like you bumped into somebody and they're like, yeah. I remember when they were putting up those pyramids in Giza. That was pretty dope. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> like, Yeah. We talk about how he takes like a 3,000-year break. And then there's like the 1,500-year break or
1: whatever. But that's still a really, really, really long time. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in essence, from his inception, like... 3900 years old yeah Um, and like you guys better hope this is a voldemort situation (laughs) because if we were to look at his stat block uh his first edition stat block is a level 20 necromancer with 10 mythic ranks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is stronger than some of the demigods we've talked about oh yeah it is yeah it's stronger than most of them i think a good chunk. I yeah. mean, you gotta you gotta compare apples apples to oranges with the mythic ranks. I think, but mm. but still, yeah. Poof, he's uh, he's beefy. I think if we if we were to take that to Rune Lord status, I think like Elaznis was level twenty with like four mythic levels. I think that sounds her. right. We'd have to ask Tim, but that sounds about yeah. Right. Well, it wasn't certainly wasn't ten because uh-huh. we no you know, we fought her as a level twenty party, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this is—it's very interesting. His connection to Zutha as well, because he—he he eventually like surpasses the power of like the Rune Lord of yeah. Gluttony, or the yeah, the Rune Lord of Gluttony, as far as necromantic acumen. Like, I'd honestly be curious to see what like Geb's stat block looks like compared to his, because Geb is like, you know, Nex and Geb are—I would say the some of the some of the few like comparable wizards at least in the way that they're talked about yes
0: yeah I, I also would be curious to see what the actual stats on those dudes look like if they truly are that powerful
1: or if you know it's been some time and they've just been in their cold war for thousands or, or of like years. shit yeah, <laughs> yeah like what's old mage jatembe's step block yeah you know is he like demigod level probably right but th- those are like the kind of figures that he's i guess would measure up to it's like he, he's kind of surpassed Rune Lord level Yeah, for sure. All right,
0: man. Well, uh, that was a lot of fun. Do you have any other closing points on Whispering Tyrant? Anything that we should know going into book six or would be interesting? Are you ready for a couple listener
1: questions? Uh, I'll just say we didn't talk anything about his factions underneath him or the shit that cropped up in Virelic since, but that's going to be a huge part of book six. Okay, cool. Yeah. I knew as soon as
0: I saw that, like, and he was locked in Gallowspire and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm done reading. I just, <laughs> done reading. I'm not, I don't want to ruin anything for myself.
1: That's it. It's one of those things where it's like when half, of, more than half of your forces are undead, essentially immortal creatures. Yeah. Uh, you know, they scatter to the wind and then when you might come back.
0: Got nothing to do for a millennium except train. Yeah. But I mean, luckily Lubrick's trained too. Yeah. Good. We're (laughs) going to need them. All right. First listener question comes from Twisted Slurp Nigma. In a totally hypothetical scenario where body snatchers exist, what question would you ask your castmates that would confirm they are really them and not a fake? I kind of like this. So I initially thought you, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get this doppelganger talking about Digimon. And if I'm not getting an impassioned... Response,
1: <laughs> but it's not the case. See that that's tough though, because I feel like they could give an impassioned speech on bullshit, and you wouldn't know any better. That's because... that's fair.
0: But then I could I could default and ask them maybe what their favorite type of beer is,
1: and if they're not guessing stouts, well, I don't know. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you kind of got to think like what the what the doppelganger knows, mm-hmm. because. Like I imagine this is a
0: situation where they have done some study, but they are not a carbon copy of your brain. Like it would have to be. Yeah. I don't think this is a situation where they just look like you and I could ask you anything. And if you're weird, I would know you're not you. I mean, I I also don't think this can't be something that's so hard and that they're essentially
1: you and there's no question. I thought about this one more as a like, what can I ask you guys as a group? Mm. Like one question Mm. for the group. So I think I would ask, where did I pitch the idea of doing this podcast to you guys? Ah, I know where you pitched me on it. As a group. So I had you all together. Oh, I don't know
0: the answer to that question. You don't know that one? <laughs> no. You, Is that... Uh, you, you, you asked me about it in the toy store downtown. That's, that's where I t- asked everybody about it. Oh, I didn't know
1: they were there too. Yeah. I thought so, it was just yep, me. That okay. was the one day... Oh, the, okay, the, sure. The, uh, but I do know that. The four of us went out. Yeah. The five of us went out. Okay, good. Then I did know the answer.
0: I th- I thought there was a different crowd there. I didn't know. I didn't realize that everybody was there. Okay.
1: Before we had leaked the information to the Discord, I would have asked what was the society scenario we played before we started. Uh, yeah,
0: correctly. that one was uh, Mists of the Mwangi. I don't think I would remember the name if we weren't recently talking about it, but I could get it. I remember it was mm-hmm. the Night at the Museum, Mwangi yeah, Expanse yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. I guess if we're talking about just yeah the the team in general, I would ask people to throw out saddest episode numbers. I guess that doesn't work if some if like one of our fans is a body snatcher that, yeah, that becomes yeah. one of us but like if someone says like uh in episode one eleven or a seventy four like I know what those are
1: yeah huh. Huh. yeah that's uh that's a good one, but if they're doing their homework, they probably listen to the whole show
0: yeah that's true. And we're just giving them answers at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's tough. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's a tricky situation. (laughs) I might ask. uh, I might ask what side of the room I sat in for the first thirty episodes. Oh,
0: that's really really good. Yeah, because our configuration has changed a couple times, Mm -hmm. but I remember where everyone's been at each time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if if you like lay down the floor plan, be like, where
1: was everybody? (laughs) And and like the the good part about that is like is before we started really taking pictures Mm -hmm. and. I'm the one that like changed position the most because like you guys all stayed on the same side of the table. I was actually on this side of the table, wasn't I? And then we flipped because we had a diagonal this way.
0: No, dude, you were always next. to Were you guys me. along the wall then? Yeah, Brooks and I had our backs to the window. I think where we sat on the table never changed. The positioning, the, of the table, table just changed. flipped all yeah. the way around. Yeah, yeah, I always sat across from Emily. Then Haley was next to her. Haley and Brooke sat across from each other, and then you were at the head of the table by on um, uh,
1: on the on the me and Emily end. Yeah. Food hmm. yeah. for thought. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean like obviously each person would have you could ask each person something more personal, but I think to try mm. and get the whole group at once. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. Although now we've ruined that, but we can come
0: up with other. There's things. probably other stuff. No, nah, we don't have that much in common. <laughs> All right, these next two questions I thought were a nice pairing. They're both thematically appropriate. We're going to go out on some fun ones here. Your Toombae asks Would you rather fight 100 duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? I'm going 100 duck sized horses. Because unless they coordinate really, really, really well, I can take out a duck. I know I can. I just need to do that 100 times in a row. And you I think I can be do that.
1: Stomping around? Yeah. I'll, I'll put on some good boots and just start stomping. I mean think about that in similar size things though. Like think if you got attacked by a horde of a hundred squirrels. Like you get torn to shreds. A mm. like hundred rats? Same deal. Mm. Like horses ducks ducks don't have teeth. They have like a blunt uh bill. Horses all have teeth and hooves mm-hmm. and can like kick and stomp and are fast. Yeah, but, but when they're tiny, those kicks are gonna be nothing. Those you think? Who's are, are, are
0: like rocks. Yeah, but they're gonna be small, man. Well, I guess... I, mean, I don't
1: they're like, know. They're like... I mean, what's the size of a duck? Like, at least a foot long. Hmm, that's a good
0: point. I don't think I'm changing my answer. I'm definitely questioning myself more. I don't know if I could pull it off at this point. But I still think I would, I would go that route. It sounds like you're making an argument for the one duck sized horse or horse sized duck.
1: Well, yeah, because if it still has duck traits, it's not going to be very fast on land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, like, ducks are frail. Like, if you think, even mm. if you size it up, mm. they still have hollow bones. You, you fucking, you get definitely karate kick one of its legs and that thing is going to break like a twig it's going to break like a piece of rotten wood. Yeah, I guess that's probably And then that thing can't chase you you're good Huh. Yeah, I mean that's probably a fair point This always comes up and I feel like the gut reaction is to go with the smaller thing but just a swarm of a hundred is so much bigger than people realize Yeah, that's true. Like think about it in Pathfinder terms Would you rather fight a giant rat or a rat swarm? I don't know if I want to do either of them. Right, but the giant rat is a much easier encounter. Yeah, probably. Especially for us commoners or one-half CR villagers. I'll be fighting for my fucking life against that rat, but (laughs) at it's just me and the rat. But you can't do
0: anything against the swarm. Yeah, that's true. And I guess that kind of leads into our next question then. I I thought these two paired well together. Ten Law Gnomes slash Eric asks... Which spider movie is scarier? Eight-Legged Freaks, where the spiders are the size of cars? Or Arachnophobia, where the spiders are regular size but crazy smart and can kill instantly with a single bite? I want to change this question. I think Eight-Legged freak I have not seen either of these movies, obviously. I would never watch either of these movies. These sound horrible. But I would rather live in an Eight-Legged Freaks world. You think? Yeah! Because I could get a shotgun and just blow away
1: spiders. But... Like, well, one of them's going to get through. I, I mean, sure, but... All that needs to happen is one of them does. Okay, but, like, what's to say that there's
0: not one of those tiny spiders under this table right now that can bite my ankle and kill me instantly? I know there's not a giant one under the table. I guess you're right. I mean... It's knowing where the threat's coming from. And, yeah, I'm definitely getting killed in either scenario. But in one, I at least have sort of a fighting chance.
1: Yeah, I just think the... I mean... I definitely think the eight legged freaks version is scarier. Sure. I mean, yes, like, that is definitely the other scary. one is just like, okay, you die. Like there's no pain involved
0: in that. But if this is a hundred duck duck-sized horses or one horse sized duck situation, I'm taking the big spiders.
1: I, the thing I hate about the eight legged freaks thing is mm-hmm. that like, when you scale a spider up, mm-hmm. like they're they, like they still do like the burrowing thing and the, like they still can like impress themselves crazy small. Yeah. and hide. I don't think in the movie they like get to the point where they're like getting under doors or anything, but mm-hmm. but they're like huge and they're like they can still do the like flat bullshit that they do. And they because they're not insta-kill creatures, like spiders aren't, it's much more terrifying because they like they wrap you up and start like sucking your vitals out and like mm-hmm. save you for later. So you like suffer. She lob style. Right. So you suffer. And I think, like, at least the beauty of the uh, uh, arachnophobia is that, like, they just they kill you with a bite. So it's like nothing hurts; you just die.
0: Like, if you were going into this with that level of defeatist attitude, then yes, I agree with you. Well, it was I don't, just I like don't think if, I, if
1: either way, I don't stand a chance. If either movie, if, I, it, if, yeah. if either movie is a precedent, you yeah. don't stand a chance, right? Like, I, I, the spiders win in both scenarios. I, I believe it's That's like horrible. okay, that town is done we don't yep. go there but yeah i mean like in a giant spider world you'd hope that there's some uh, like they would take i mean they'd be the apex predator of everything right yeah
0: people sometimes rasp me for my arachnophobia i'm not talking about the movie i'm talking about the actual thing that i have but like they're fucking gnarly there was something that uh we fought the giant tarantula in uh in book three and it had a move where it shakes its front mandibles around and little barbs flew off of them and were impaling people as a ranged attack. And y'all might go, ha ha ha! What a crazy, mythological, fan- do fantastical thing! No, they fucking do that in real life. Yeah, they yeah.
1: have, and like they'll hurt you.
0: Yeah, like, those are barbs that like fall off their body that they fling at people. It's fucking terrifying.
1: Yeah, so like those the size of javelins, and it's not great. No, it's not. This, I mean, yeah, this, this one's, this one's kind of rock and hard place thing. I, you know, yeah. I'm going for the, uh, I think we're going for different things and yeah. I'm, I'm going for the, like, which would be the least horrific in terms of having to like die in that scenario. And yours is more like, Hey, if I had a gun, mm-hmm. what do I think I could get? Like, yeah. yeah, you could shotgun blast one of these big spiders if you get the jump on it. In my head, it's it's dude in like Dawn of the Dead or whatever that's
0: holding out against the horde, and then like he saves one in the chamber for himself
1: because I'm not going up in a spider web. That's not happening. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I just think the the little ones it, the little ones is like an impossible scenario to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's like if they're intelligent, they're gonna get to you. Yes. You can't you can't seal yourself away in something that's tight enough for a spider not to get in.
0: It's like, I'm a regular, regular, regular man. If, like, Ant-Man
1: decided he wanted to kill me, I'm done. Right. Like, that's it. I guess in that case, I would think the smaller spiders still have small spider vulnerabilities. Mm. And you could just drive up to, like, Alaska and they wouldn't survive it.
0: Hmm.
1: You know? Like, you just drive up to somewhere cold enough and they they die.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's a pretty miserable existence then, but you can pull it off well if there's
1: enough cold between you and where you between you and the spiders you can certainly mm-hmm. live comfortably in Alaska yeah you know you can you have a warm home the spiders just aren't going to make it from Ohio to Alaska I guess because the, of the cold yeah at that point you just abandon all your possessions
0: you can't take a chance of there being spider eggs on them you know that's just true like, you yeah that's true go up there naked and find what you can yeah hope there's no so, spider d- eggs on you car 50 miles away yep. in, the, in the snow yep let it freeze for a while yep you can get it later Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, like, fill up a box truck, get close to your house, leave it on the side of the road, let it it freeze for a couple days, and then you unload it. Yeah, like, I want... uh, Deep freeze everything.
1: In in, in Little Spider
0: scenario, like, does bug spray work? I've never seen arachnophobia, but if they're regular sized and just smart and have good venom, then I I guess so. I killed a spider with bug spray the other day. It was great.
1: Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I mean, they're gonna be smart so they're gonna try and avoid the bug spray but no this one just sat there and took it he tried to tank <laughs> i got this bro <laughs> yeah. he did not <laughs> I got th-
1: he starts to curl up damn it
0: <laughs> it was an hour before i came over to play malevolence 2 so i was like "Uh oh this is a bad omen since i play a spider man with a spider idol on <laughs> curling up baby All right. Well, I think that about wraps up that question as much fun as I had with it. So don't have terribly much housekeeping to do today. We have another Drunken Escorterly coming up on the 5th of November with the next live Zone of Truth on the 12th of November. But besides that, uh, keep your ear down to the ground. We're going to be making some announcements soon about all sorts of really cool stuff coming at the HLP. We have stuff still to announce after that crazy charity stream that we did a couple weeks back now. Uh, I I guess on that topic, once again, thank you for everybody that donated early, that came out and donated. We raised about 2500 bucks, right, Griff? Yep and it it went to a great place uh we were talking a little bit with speak for the unspoken after and they said thank you thank you thank you so much um they're a very small charity so 2500 bucks it made a really 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 big impact to them so they were super grateful and i wanted to pass that along to you listeners so thanks for helping us out with that keep your ears peeled and uh watch out for giant spiders and i have housekeeping
1: oh sure Uh, go right ahead I'm on STF and friends. And if you're listening to this today, I think we're playing tonight at Mm -hmm. seven o'clock Eastern and it should be every other Monday or around thereabouts. uh, after that, I think I'm going to be on STF and friends for like three months and you're hang out. What are you playing? I'm playing a gauze claw precog, nice uh, so it's very fun we're starting redshift rally at level 7 and it's and if, if you uh, like the voice at the start of our bestow curse show Jason uh, our good friend is also on there along with the STF crew so uh, it's a it's a good group we're on Twitch uh, I think it's just twitch TV slash Southern Tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. Um So go check it out there, or check out the old episodes on YouTube. We've already done one, and it's gonna be fun. It's Griff wearing ears, playing Starfinder, Fast and
0: Furious. Come on, the tickets sell themselves. Oh yeah, I got I got the the full cosplay.
1: (laughs) The the, costume is really the white (laughs) wig. Got the got the ears. Got the. neon green racing suit it's pretty great see i think i knew about the years ahead of time i was not ready for the racing suit yeah the racing seems pretty tight oh my god
0: (laughs) it's legit it's so good all right well i think that about does it y'all survived your will saves you made it out of the zone of truth anything you want to tell the people at home griffin finish your drinks we'll see you in two weeks later